All right, what is up, folks? Welcome back to another episode of Lifting, Running, and Living with your favorite coaches, Kelly. Hello. Hey, and JK, as me. All right, episode number 14, per yeah. the usual. Let's kick it off with some updates. So, Kelly, what's going on with you? So, I am getting closer to back to normal in training terms. I'm up to four runs a week. I just like how you clarified back to normal in training terms. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, it's like you want to ask for clarification and then you kind of are like, ooh, this sounds like it might be a touchy subject. So anyways, please continue. I feel like the rest of my life has been normal. The training yeah, is the only thing that's been abnormal. Yeah, that that's okay. All right. Okay. So training. <laughs> so please proceed. Yeah. So I have my first continuous run this past weekend with no foot pain, which is exciting. Hey. I know. Insert clapping sounds. <laughs> I think that's on your side. You've got control of the producer board. It is. I don't know where they are, though. Okay, We're not that fair. advanced. All right. But Speak for yourself. The people, can they have wild imaginations. They can imagine the clapping. All right. Well, they're probably clapping right now. Yeah. They're if cheering they're for lifting. me on yeah, their run or lifter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that's good. That's great. It is great. I've still been lifting three times a week, but I might change that soon as I run more. Oh, okay. Yeah. So do you remember in the summer when my hamstring started hurting? Yes. It, it was bothering me last week again. And I'm not running that much, but it's something, the combination with the running and lifting. So I need to figure mm. out what what is aggravating it. Yeah. When, it, when you say it's bothering you or it's aggravating... And for context, I'm not asking from the standpoint of diagnosing anything. Like, what does that mm -hmm. mean, though, when you say that? Like, I can constantly feel it. It's like my high hamstring. Oh, okay. Where it, like, connects, I assume, is gotcha. the pain point. Um, yeah, but it was after, let's see, I ran some hills this weekend, and I did, I swapped out. I was going to do step-ups, but we, there's only one box in my gym, and some guy was using it to sit on. And I'm not confrontational, so I was like, I'll let this go. <laughs> so I did single leg RDLs instead, but that was like my third time that week doing uh, – I did single leg RDLs one day, deadlifts one day, and then single leg RDLs again. So I think it might have just been <laughs> too much of that one uh, movement, and then my hamstring was annoyed that day with the hills yeah, too. So That does sound like that a weekend. lot of hamstring slash posterior – Targeting. Yeah, and it's a lot of like the same hamstring movement because other hamstring movements don't aggravate it like um, hamstring, like the curls on the stability ball. Mm -hmm. I like those a lot because they're yeah. you can really target, but it doesn't doesn't quite hurt like the RDLs do. Have you yeah. have you ever done the the tantrum leg kicks? I like those a lot for runners. What's that? So uh, what it will be is um, if you can picture a squat rack yes and then you set up j hooks at the bottom and you stretch a thick like it's got to be a thick af band across mm -hmm. those okay okay and then picture that you're laying down on the ground like i guess it'd be perpendicular to the rack where you're like a little bit below your calves so let's say bet between the back of your foot and your calves is on the 
the band. Okay. Are you and lying you're doing on your back? Kicks. You're lying on your back. Yeah. Okay. Lying on your back and you're doing the tantrum kicks. Your body is in a little bit of a little bit of a hollow hold. I think I want to say they're called tantrum kicks. I used them a mm. couple of times for runners to work on do some explosive work. Yeah. Um posterior I've never side. done those. I don't know. They sound fun. Yeah, I mean they yeah, fun. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think they sound uh, different. <laughs> yeah, I think they came across my plate quite a while back when I was um, working with a fellow personal trainer who was on the physical therapy path. And I had noticed that he was doing it with some of his clients. So I just kind of asked him, you know, what that was all about. And then randomly, I've actually had a, I had a client bring it up a few, actually a few weeks ago too, Hmm. specifically for her kids that are runners. So yeah. Anyways, tantrum kicks, check them out. Yeah. I'll look them up. Yeah, I'll incorporate them. Maybe. Maybe. Anyways. We'll <laughs> right. Anyways. And yeah, and then today I decided to do the lactate threshold test in my Garmin. Mm, so, let's talk about that. Yeah. So I wanted to do it one for fun, which is a weird thing to say. I wanted to see how Garmin does it was one of my motivations. Okay. And because okay. I want to start... Even if I can't train as much for the January 5K, I want to do 5K training as my main focus next year, probably. So I want a starting point for metrics. So yeah, what the Garmin lactate threshold test does is it estimates your heart rate and pace at lactate threshold, which then we can use to calibrate heart rate and pace zones, which is more accurate than the generic formula. So yeah. I, I know you've <laughs> you've spoken before <laughs> on your uh, your campaign platform about yes. zone training or zones the zones themselves specifically the zones like yeah the the random like averages yeah well because I mean I feel like everyone has probably heard this from me but like if we're going by the two twenty minus your age then that's estimating my max heart rate is. 187. Okay. Yes. Yes, because I'm 33. <laughs> Don't ask Which me then, to check that math. I, I know. Yeah. We're, we're just going to go with it. Yeah. So then off of that, it would probably say my threshold was like high 160s off the top of my head. I could be wrong about that. Maybe low mm-hmm. 170s. And so from my test today, which is actually the same values I had from over the summer, my heart rate. My lactate threshold heart rate is 181, which is higher than most people would probably assume. Yeah. But I've always had a high heart rate, so it's not surprising to me. And then for funsies, I decided to keep going and run a little harder because whenever I upload something to Strava that has a really high heart rate, like my 5K races, my last 5K race, or maybe it was two ago, either way, my last mile, my average heart rate was 205. And people were like, there's literally no way that that is possible. And I was like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, this happens every 5K. People commented that? One man did, yes. Because I posted it on my Instagram. He was like, this can't be right. And I was like, okay. (laughs) What do you want me to say to that? So. It's interesting. I, yeah. So I ran, because the test stops you once it detects your threshold. So you're not reaching your max heart rate. 
Um, and I don't think I reached my max heart rate, but I decided to like pick up the pace a little more and do one more 400. And my uh, max heart rate got up to 195. And I was wearing the chest heart rate monitor. So okay. no one can debate with me. But I suspect it would go even higher if I ran for more than just a 400. Um, yeah. Anyway, how did I get on this tangent? Because we were just talking remember. just generally about the, <laughs> the lactate threshold test. Yeah. So then lactate threshold heart rate is like if you're doing a five zone model, it's like the top of zone four. Okay. So then as you can imagine, since mine is 181, then like my zone two, which everyone is concerned about right now, is higher than a lot of people would say is actually zone two. So mine's like, oh, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it's like 153 to 162 or something. And gotcha. I've, I've seen a lot of people be like, if your heart rate goes above 150, you're not running easy enough. And it's like, that's that's just wrong. It's just not true. Um, <laughs> well, so that's the value of finding your Yeah, I was going to say. Now, would you – so am I – assuming correct then that you would potentially give like more credibility to the number if someone has taken the time to find like go through some sort of a test to find their own than you would if somebody said well this is what the general guidelines are like did the mm -hmm. what yeah. is it 220 minus age no yeah 220 minus age is the yeah. there's another formula that's a little better i don't remember it off the top of my head but Oh, okay. Like most of the watches, I feel like the default the setting 220. uses something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you would know. You would probably remember because my chest strap, doesn't that one just go by the, the general 220? Remember I when I posted so. that and you're like, oh, mm -hmm. really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But I mean, it could be accurate for you because like my, what, are you what I'm anchoring to is my zones, which are high. So when I see lower zones, I'm like, are you sure? They're right, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I don't. I don't even know. Yeah, I don't know. That's fair. I think the somewhat contributing factor to me for wearing the chest strap is is at one point in my late teens, there were some concerns, like there were some heart health concerns mm -hmm. that were raised, uh, and so periodically I will go through these phases now, like in as an adult, at least, you know, by the world's definition, based on my age, I'm an adult. Um, I will go through these periods of time where I just decide to wear a heart rate monitor for a while just to try and kind of track, track things and whatnot. So I'm not really, you know, I'll do the, the whole zone two thing and I'm completely fine just defaulting to whatever it gives me mm -hmm. and just roll with that. I, I typically like to go more based on feel. Yeah, when I mean that's what I always recommend. Zone two, well, specifically zone two, because I'm not really, I'm not really specifically trying to do zone five. Yeah, like to me, or trying to let me rephrase that. I'm not specifically trying to define my zone five based on my heart rate. Mm -hmm. I'm defining it just based on effort. Yeah. So when I am though purposely like, hey, let me get in 20 minutes of zone two. We'll call it zone two inspired movement <laughs> then yeah. i utilize like the the just the general very uneducated guideline of if i needed to hold a conversation i could however not at the ease of if i was sitting like i'm sitting down right now like if i was on a call they would 
they would kind of suspect that I was trying to exercise at the same time that I was talking, but they weren't a hundred percent sure. Mm-hmm. That's basically yeah. the, yeah, that's my definition of zone two for anybody who does not want to <laughs> find out what their age is. So there you go. You're on a call and you're trying to get your steps in, but they can't necessarily for sure tell. That's what's yeah. up. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. matches like zone two is the conversational pace zone. So right. Yeah. You shouldn't be able to talk. Well, I've got um, I've got one client specifically who typically does walking meetings. Mm-hmm. And she's commented before that some like some of her colleagues are like, yo, can you please slow down? <laughs> because she can just she could just motor and yeah. it has like no effect on her speech or anything like that or her, her like how she's breathing or anything like that. She's just like good to go. So we've never really dug into exactly what her heart rate is at that time. Cause when I had talked to her about doing zone two, she was like, Oh, it's like, I might be going a little bit fast then. I don't know. So I don't know. All right. Anything else going on other than, um, you know, putting yourself through that for funsies. <laughs> it really wasn't bad. Yeah. I mean, I, you gotta understand for context, you, you like running though. Well, yeah. I mean, why would yeah. you do a running test if you don't like running? Like, you uh, can do it on the bike, although the bike. you need a power meter, I think, which I don't yeah. have. But yeah, like, it doesn't have to be running. I could think of some people who would do something like that just to, you know, just a, a one-off thing. I would yeah. potentially do it as, like, a one-off, but I certainly wouldn't put it underneath the for funsies category <laughs> as far as, like how my emotional state and my feelings would be while I was doing it definitely would not be fun. Yeah, that's fair. I just expected it it to be harder. Oh, excuse me. (laughs) All right. Okay. So I think this is why. So like in a lab setting, the, the Garmin simulates that. So it like starts you off pretty low for four minutes and then it increases. For me, it went by heart rate, which was, I thought was kind of odd. It increased Mm. like, my target heart rate zone every four minutes until it like detected my threshold. And usually in a lab setting, you increase your pace until your lactate uh, exceeds four millimoles, whatever the unit Mm. is. So you can like actually see it in the blood. Whereas obviously Garmin's an estimate. And then the test that usually we give to people to estimate it outside of like using the watch or the lab is to do basically like a 30-minute time trial. You're supposed to try to settle into like a pace you could hold for an hour because that's roughly what your lactate threshold would be. And then you take the average heart rate and pace of your last 20 minutes, which I feel like is a lot harder than the test that the Garmin made me do. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds miserable. So that's what I was expecting. And then I was like, oh. Garmin also, it started me in a range that was 164 to 174 beats per minute. I'm guessing based off my warm up. Okay. Um, Because that's like a little higher than my zone two. And then the second one, it made me go back down to like 143 to 163 or something, or 147 to 163. And I was like, this is weird because normally the test just keeps going up. Yeah. And then it increased me every four minutes to another like higher 10 beat do you regularly wear a chest strap when you run Mm -mm. okay i find it annoying okay and then the garmin itself when it's so 
prior to this, all the data that it had or the majority of the data that it had was based on risk-based heart rate tracking, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Mm, I'm thinking there could be a correlation there. Yeah. Because um, I'm also today. assuming. What's that? It was warmer today too and like full sun. Yeah. I'm not going to say it's warm because people listening are going to be like, you're insane. Yeah, <laughs> it was like 50 degrees, but like 50 degrees on a sunny track in Colorado is not cold. Yeah. I mean, we're we're at 30, what's it say? 39 degrees. And I was I remember thinking earlier, like, hmm, today might be a day I'd actually want to go out and yeah. take a walk because it's about it feels about 40 ish. So that's yeah. that's warm right now. But what I was mm-hmm. gonna say is or, or ask is instead of assuming, do you notice a difference heart rate wise between the chest strap and the wrist based? Hmm. Or is it pretty within a couple been, of beats per minute? Pretty I think so it's have, usually pretty close. Okay. The times I'll notice it's more off is like when it's colder. I think because like I have less circulation going to my hands, you know, for the wrist, okay. the wrist monitor. Yeah. Versus obviously the chest monitor is like right there where you need it to be. But it, honestly, it's been a while since I've compared the two. Gotcha. Yeah. The More couple times um, I did do some experiments with trying to do some zone one running. I don't remember when this was training for my ultra. And then I would wear the chest heart rate monitor. So it would be super accurate. Hmm. I don't know why I just brought that up. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes I think they're fun to fun to play around with. Like I said, it's it's yeah. usually like every couple of years I'll decide. Okay, I should probably wear a chest. Let me let me wear a heart rate monitor again. I think I think that subconsciously, or maybe now that's considered consciously. Um, I think that for me, it is. It's like kind of going back to just kind of check are things still within a decent range sort of thing more from a health standpoint than than like specifically making it about my training i what i did do uh back in okay so this had to be pre-2018 because i remember the gym that i was at at the time and that gym is that gym closed i think in december of 2018 yeah I remember that I went through a training block where I was doing, that's back when I was more like 70% CrossFit, 30% bodybuilding. Mm. Um, During Metcons, I I remember I designed some metabolic conditioning workouts where it would be like five rounds. However, I had to wait for my heart rate to get back down to normal before I could do the next round. Mm. So it wasn't specific. Yeah, it wasn't specifically like, you know, two minutes rest or whatever. And I wanted to, cause I wanted to just kind of learn a little bit more observe maybe more around like where my heart rate was and things like that. And I remember I did that with like a my zone, I think, cause that was big at our gym at the time. Oh. It was like this massive push because you know, the my zones like you can, that mm-hmm. you can wear and then, okay. So it's this, um, it's this line of chest strap monitors And they market them really heavily to gyms because they can be displayed on the screen. So you can, yeah, you can have a whole class. And so the the whole idea is MyZone will sell like a bunch of the heart rate monitors to the gym. Mm -hmm. And then the gym, you know, turns around and sells them at a different price to the clients and the members. 
And so when they come in for their group classes, it's very like Orange Theory wannabe. Yeah. So you can have anybody who wants to, they can have their heart rate displayed and it'll have like all the little widgets that show, you know, like it's got Kelly's square, JK's square, like all this stuff. So you could kind of see, kind of see that. So some people really liked that or whatnot, but that's beside the point. So that's, that's a one experience that I've had with them like way back. I remember those. So when they do that, do they have everyone using the same zones? Uh, they're using the zones according to what their settings are. So you have it, I mean, you have it just like, just like you've got your Garmin, um, app or the connect app on your phone. Yeah. Like I would have the, my zone app on my phone. So it's my settings, you know, my whatever. So it's not comparative. Yeah. So it's not compared to everybody else. Now there might've been, there might've been some sort of a setting where you could almost make it like leaderboard wise. Mm -hmm. But this was different. This wasn't that. This was the way we had it set up was everybody had their own square, basically. So it would just, yeah, it would just be like tiles on a TV. So you could kind of see where everybody was at versus like, okay, you know, Kelly was in first, JK was in second sort of thing. It wasn't, Mm -hmm. it wasn't set up like that. Not to say like that it can't be. I don't, I didn't dig that deep into it because I was conflicted is probably a little bit of an aggressive word. I wanted people, I thought it was a great idea so that people could get an awareness of their heart rate versus like, Hey, you stayed, you know, because you burned this many calories because it showed calorie burn. That's the part I was really conflicted on. Yeah, that's fair. Where they're like, well, you know, when I did a workout last week, I burned 800 calories and today only burned 500. I'm like, all right. I appreciate you coming today, though. Make sure to wipe down your mat. <laughs> I just don't. Like, I can't have the calorie conversation again. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I just took your updates and veered them all over the place. That's <laughs> usually what usual. we do. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Anything um, else you got updates on? I have that? a sad update. Oh. Actually, okay. I have a not sad update first. I have exceeded... Uh, I was going to say, let's go with the sad one. Can you go with the sad one first? Okay, fine. We'll go with the sad one first. All right. Thank you. My brother had to put his cat down yesterday. Oh. You know why? You don't know why, but I'm going to tell you. No, I don't know why. Uh Uh-uh. His neighbor's dog broke through the fence and attacked her. Oh, snap. Yeah. Oh. Hmm. I know. Yikes. That's, uh, I don't know how to respond to that, so... Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. It's very sad. I just found out this it morning is. that they put her down last night. Oh, man. How long um, how long have they had the cat? He got her in, I want to say it was 2018 because we were okay. living together. So I the cat's name is Sally Jo. <laughs> um, I live with her. Sally Jo. Sally jo. Yeah. She came with that name. Um, okay. Because I was, you know, I was going <laughs> to. What's the reference there? I don't know. Interesting. Okay. But I always thought it was cool because my middle name is Josephine and Ty, my husband, calls me Kelly Joe. So Kelly Joe and Sally Joe, we were meant to be buddies anyway. Stops. So yeah, since 2018, if I'm getting the year right, it was either 2017 or 2018. And then, yeah, I lived with mm-hmm. her until he moved out in 2020. So yeah. a little over two years. Well. Sending all the supportive vibes their way. 
Yeah. It's tough. Yeah. One of my friends had just let me know that they had, uh, they'd had to put their dog down not too, not too long ago. And it just, mm. yeah, it's tough. They have kids too. So the kids, Oof. I don't think, I, I believe they have shared with me that their kids had not experienced something like that before too. So it's like, especially, yeah, you're trying to work through your own emotions and you're working through their emotions and yeah. Yeah. Was it the dog's time? I did not ask for any other details other than the ones that were volunteered to me. That's fair. Yeah. Didn't, didn't ask. I, that's kind of the, that's pretty much, I think that's pretty much my MO for the most part. I typically, yeah. Cause I'm just not, I'm not sure if, I'm not sure if somebody's wanting me to ask more questions or not. Like, you know, those people that would put, um, you know, those people who put like Facebook status where they're like, uh, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yeah. I you do. know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like I posted one or two back in college yeah, we, when I was angsty. <laughs> oh, I'm I, I I am not saying I'm not saying that from the standpoint of I have never done something yeah. like that. Like Facebook <laughs> Memories is reminding me that my stuff still stinks. Like it's it's reminding yeah. me of some decisions that I made like 12 years ago when I first got on Facebook <laughs> or whenever it was. But that's when people would post something like that. Like that was their status update. I would always was like nah we're not we're not taking that bait or anything and i think it's just transferred now to you know sometimes people sometimes people want you to probe and ask questions and sometimes they don't and i just like to default to the if you want me to know the information or if you want me to ask questions you'll make it very apparent mm. very apparent otherwise yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's not the best in every situation. How be ever. I don't know. I'm just going to go with it. Watch yeah. it. Now, now you're going to post a, like a, a post a, in your stories. Story. Or yes. uh, could this day get any worse? Dot, dot, dot. There's no. some folks though that like, that's the majority of their posts. Though. Yeah. Like, are you okay? Like, are you good? Remember, do you remember when Facebook used to ask, how are you feeling today? Was that like the very beginning? No, it's, <laughs> it was not the very beginning because was I that, recall the very beginning. Was that when all of the statuses started was, with is? Yes. Because I do yes. remember that. When those come up in memories, I'm just like, this sounds so stupid. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It, now, if you, yeah, you're totally right. Because if you don't have that context, those posts back in the day now look just really like, yo, yeah, like, this is an emotional generation. But I remember it would say like JK McLeod is, and then it yeah. would have like in light, light lettering, like, how are you feeling? And it would have you just, you know, click an emotion. Mm-hmm. And then I think it had an emoji. Cause I have to remind myself sometimes there was the time when all it had was just the like button and that was it. There was, it wasn't a reaction. You either liked it or you didn't. Mm-hmm. And that's all that there was. It seems so ancient now. Yeah. It seems so different now. Yeah. I wonder what I those don't... folks are doing now. The ones that, the attention seeking ones. Like what do I they mean, do now? What do they I do now? I feel like there's a lot of other ways to get attention nowadays. Yeah. I'm just saying like, what did they transition to? Like if they're not doing it there, where, where do they, mm-hmm. where do they put their, their cryptic, which really aren't cryptic posts now? It like could be anywhere. 
are they still on Facebook? I don't know. I don't spend much time on there, so I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't spend like any time mm. on Facebook, but I yeah. would guess they're either still on Facebook, they went to Instagram, <laughs> or maybe even uh, Snapchat. Oh, I could see. Uh, I feel like they've got to be somewhere that, where they get more of a reach, you know? Maybe they're like on they want to. They like to suffer in public. Like they have, they're on they TikTok like to have now. people. Is that a big enough platform where you can post like a status or something? Well, no, you'd have to post a video. Yeah, so it basically, <laughs> I'm picturing this video. Somebody's like holding up a camera, doing a selfie, and they're just looking at the camera, just going, ugh, and they just leave it at that. That's it. That's I wouldn't the whole be surprised. Post. I don't mm. know. I don't know. Maybe, Maybe they're the on reason threads. I'm not, I guess I'm not seeing anymore because I either unfriended or blocked all of them. Like I just got rid of it. So they were probably on Twitter, actually, now that I think about it. Yeah. I got on threads recently. I know. Yeah. Decided I to give it a shot. How do you like it? I don't even know how to answer that. I, I like it. I I don't really have any... I don't have a specific expectation as of right now. Mm. I'd like to use it as a format of just, hey, when I think of something, I can just type it out. And then... Yeah. Then you just kind of roll. I will say that um, X or Twitter is mm-hmm. definitely more like newsy, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it. It's more like articles and links and, and all that stuff, which I know that's basically the intention. Mm-hmm. I think threads, I'm not sure what the what the expectation is of how people use it, though, like what their product, what they're hoping, how they're hoping that people use it. I don't, I don't quite get that yet. I don't really know. I just know that they're just copying every other big platform, it seems like. Yeah. I mean, they they got the money to do it. Might as well, you know? Yeah. I mean, it is nice that it's linked to your Instagram profile. Yeah. That that definitely made it like super easy. I mean, I've I've touched base with a couple of um, a couple of coaches who they were in on it at first and then they were like, well, I'm not really generating any business from it. So mm-hmm. any additional business. Yeah. So they weren't really jazzed about it. However, that's not my main thing for for using it. So just using it to almost kind of like document random things at random times. Yeah. And then call it a day. So mm, it's aight. <laughs> I'm still... Still feeling it out. We'll see. I don't TBD. Know. Correct. All right. Anything else updates-wise for you? I have surpassed my goal for a number of books read for this year. Hey, congratulations. Yeah. All right. Are you currently working on a particular book right now? Of course I am. Let me clarify. <laughs> um, are you currently challenging yourself by working on a nonfiction book right now? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I still have the the data bias one for when I'm in between books. Okay. But I'm I'm reading a Colleen Hoover right now, which is ten, tends to be a quick read. So uh, of course, yeah, a classic, you know. It's Makes not sense. a psychological thriller. Okay. I don't really know how to classify it. It's kind of weird. Colleen Hoover books. This one in particular. Oh, okay. I know the name. I'm not familiar with the subject matter. Um, I think Ava's read a few. I'm fairly certain that I'm not the target audience for that. Fairly yeah, certain. fairly certain you are not yeah. as well. <laughs> <Correct>. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm the target audience. 
It's funny how you mentioned that you have like the in between book because I, um, that book Nudge, I'm mm-hmm. still kind of working my way through, and I think I'm less than twenty pages away from being being done. And I've identified that it's I'll call it like the gap book. It's like yeah. when I'm either need a gap in between books or need a break from a book that I've been reading. So I'm still kind of slowly but surely ticking away at that, and then still reading Narconomics, the one about um, mm. drug cartels. So. Oh, yeah. That does sound cool. All right. Anyway, that's all my updates. What's up with you? Uh, Main thing is training. So I have moved officially. So now I'm in week number two because I think, what, last episode I would have been finishing up fat loss and then Mm -hmm. was going to start that training cycle the next following week. So went through week number one. Um, It is five days of full body. Um, one lift each day is a percentage base, percentage base. I don't know <laughs> how I just developed a lisp. Um, one day, one lift each day is a percentage base, uh, strength lift. Yeah. And then, um, all the other, all the other movements are based on RPE, which I'm really familiar with. So it's been a, a couple of things have popped up with this now being week number two. So week number one, feeler week, um, it's, it's an eight, I'm hesitating for a second. It's an eight week program with, I think an optional AMRAP type thought process for week number nine, as many reps or as many reps as possible sort Mm -hmm. of thing for week number nine, um, which I haven't decided if I'm going to do that or not, or if I'm going to try and just do a one rep max test perhaps. Because a couple of things that have popped up is one, um, with doing the percentage-based strength lift, then you would do well to have an idea of what your one rep maxes are for these particular lifts. And I do not know what any of my one rep maxes are for any of those lifts. Um, So it would be for... Uh, let me think it's for the, oh, it's for your big four. So it's for the deadlift, the shoulder press, strict shoulder press, uh, barbell bench press, and then back squat. Okay. And I don't have documented one rep maxes for those and have not for, I can't even tell you how many years at this point. Whoa. Yeah. Not, not a clue. Um, we used to do, I used to have that information back when I was, consistently doing CrossFit and went to a box and there's, there's this thing called the CrossFit total, which is your max, it's your max back squat, your max deadlift, and then it's your max strict press. I'm questioning if it was, if it was a push press, I can't remember, Mm. but anyways, you would have that stuff. You would at least would know your max squat and your max deadlift for one rep if you did CrossFit total. Um, but I haven't done that in forever. So I totally had to wing it. So I had to guess going into Uh the program. So I just guessed going in and I basically have, I think I've underestimated the bench press, maybe overestimated shoulder press, (laughs) (laughs) um, underestimated deadlift Hmm. or no overestimated deadlift. And then may have underestimated back squat. I have no idea. Yeah, it's just because right now we're at, well, I, I just basically was like, I used to be able to do this, but that was a really long time ago. Yeah. 
so like at, at one point I had hit like over a 500 pound deadlift. So I was like, well, I know I'm to my knowledge, I'm not at that point. Mm-hmm. So, cause at that point, if I remember correctly, I mean, when you talk about like my intake, like my calories were like bonkers. I think I was at like mm. 600 grams of carbs, like Whoa. 150 fats and 225 protein or something like no joke. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like uber well fed at that point. Um, and especially coming off of a fat loss cycle where I'm starting to get my calories back up. I just, yeah, I was like, that's definitely, so 500 is not happening. So I think, I think I put it at like 480 or something like that, just to come Mm -hmm. up with a number. Um, and then bench press, I was like, well, I'll just make it my body weight and we'll just use that as a one rep max Hmm. strict press. I, I can't think of how, how I came up with that urban right now. And then the back squat, I think I did body weight in the back squat again too. So I think it'll be interesting. I kind of thought about like after I going through week number one, where all those lifts, I think were right around 75% mm-hmm. of whatever your assumed max was. I had thought about, well, maybe I'll just do it based on RPE yeah. instead, just since I don't know what my accurate ones are. But, and maybe this is a, this could be either a topic we can kind of riff on right now or, or transition into, because really the, the main update I have is that I've changed my training mm-hmm. um, and that'll be different. Something that, that I am holding myself to as, as much as I have the ability to do is like stick to the program, the way that the program is designed, mm-hmm. like yeah, stick to it the way that it is designed. And for reference, I referenced this like I think in the last episode. So the program that I'm doing, actually, I didn't t- tell you what program. You just asked me if I had a coach. Yeah. So I bought a templated program. It's from Jeff Nippard. Um, for those that are in like that bodybuilding, powerlifting world, like he's a pretty, pretty well known uh, creator, programmer, coach, all that good stuff. Um, I've been aware of him for quite a few years. I love the fact that a lot of what he does slash maybe everything he does is science based completely. Mm-hmm. And I'm just super intrigued by this high frequency full body thing. Like I'm very, very intrigued by it because on the base of it, some things just completely fly in the face of what you generally would think. And it definitely mm-hmm. flies in the face of the old school, like body part split where it was like Monday was chest day. Then it was back and buys. Then it was like shoulders and tries and then legs. And then, you know, you did body part once a week. And there's plenty of programs out there where now you're doing body parts say twice a week, but this one, it's just a very different feel. So sticking to, in order for me to get a good understanding of at least what my experiences would be as I continue to also try and gather knowledge to either from content that he's put, he puts out or try to find different studies um, and things like that, that are related to like full body training versus body part split and whatnot. One of my main things is, well, you know, if you're going in and then trying to put your own kind of flavor on it and mm-hmm. you switch this and you switch that, then how can you give any sort of a, how can you come up with any sort of a reasonable critique of how that program is? Um, or if, yeah, how that program is, if you didn't do the program as it was designed and where, where that's a, a touch point for me lately is a handful 
So I'd say in the last three months, I could think of four different conversations or interactions that I've had where someone has asked me to look at a program or look at their workouts. Let me rewind. They've asked me to look at their workouts. And I've mentioned this on my podcast before. Maybe I've mentioned it here too. I'm like, that's, I don't critique other people's work. If you're working with somebody or if you're doing a program and you'd like to get an understanding of general principles to be Mm -hmm. able to basically like the professional version of red flags, like that sort of thing. Like, so for example, if there are no demos for the program and it's something that they're saying is supposed to be something that's easy for you to execute, then that could be a red flag. Like you don't know how to do the movement. They're not showing you how to do the movement. Yeah. If there is no direction for how long you should rest, then that could be a red, like that sort of education. So those are the things that I would routinely say like, yeah, I can, I can take a look at it for you. Like that sort of thing versus is this a good or a bad program? Mm-hmm. And so in the conversations that I've had with people though, whether it was a program that they bought or workouts that they've written, one of the very common themes is someone will, especially if they're buying a program from somewhere else or buying a template, they'll get the template and then they're like, well, I'm not sure if this is really for me. So, and I've been doing it for you know two months and I'm not sure if it's good for me or I've been doing it for a month, most likely. I'm mm-hmm. not sure if it's the right fit. So I'll naturally, like to me, the the natural question is, okay, well, what do you, like, why did you get it at first? Well, you know, reputable person, looked like a good program, that sort of thing. Okay, cool. And as you've been executing it, what feels good, what doesn't feel good, and why? And they're like, well, and here's what happens. Like, well, you know, it called for like back squats, but I don't really like to do back squats. So I switched that to leg press. Mm. It called for... 10 to 12 reps, but those reps are too high for me. So I did six to eight and it doesn't have enough glute work. So I added hip thrusts and then like, so I'm just trying to figure out like, is this the right program for me? Hard for me to tell because it would be like you going into a restaurant, ordering food, and then you pulled out other ingredients, added your ingredients to the meal that was served, then tasted it and then did a are asking, are are giving your opinion on it. What Mm -hmm. you're giving your opinion on or what you're asking me to critique is something that's not the original version of what it, of what it was. Yeah. Kelly, it's great. This happens pretty, this happens (laughs) pretty, I'm not going to say regularly, but it's not, it's a very common thing. I could see that. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get the, I guess I, I don't get the disconnect. You're like looking at me like, I don't get it either. I guess what it is, is I don't, I don't get the, the disconnect between if you want to be able to accurately assess something and its effectiveness and whether the coach is effective or whatever, you need to do it the way that it's designed in order to assess that Mm -hmm. period. Yeah. I just don't, I, I just was somewhat surprised at how prevalent it's been where people still are thinking that that shouldn't be as big of a factor as it actually is. 
And I tried using like the whole restaurant example, like the meal example, because I thought like, okay, well, that's a pretty, yeah, pretty like straightforward analogy. (laughs) And, you know, the response would be like, well, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but I'm like, there's nothing else after that. Yeah, but what? Yeah, like, yeah, but, you know, like really, but generally, like, what do you think? The the general, I can, I walk through general principles. Maybe that's, yeah, that's something maybe I could riff on at some point, but I don't know. That's my, that's my rant for that. I don't, (laughs) yeah, like a handful of them have been really productive because we've been able to really identify those, I don't know a better term, like those red flags are basically like, hey, here are the the things you should expect. So realistic expectations, like that sort of a thing. And then, you know, generally, can you look at a program and understand why certain things are designed the way that they're designed, like that sort of a thing. But if we're talking like, you know, four sets of 25 to 30 Mm -hmm. of nine different exercises for five days yet generally i would say no that doesn't seem that seems like too much volume however what was the initial intention and then they'll be like well actually it was calling for you know like three sets of 12 but i just didn't feel like that was enough so i made it four Mm -hmm. sets of 25 to 30 okay so now we're in a different you know (laughs) all right That's like when runners add on mileage or volume. They're like, I didn't think it was enough. And then like they don't reach their goal at the race and they wonder why. Not that it's always a, an exact correlation, but. Yeah, this this concept of enough, I think is, it's something that, that is pretty common. Us mm-hmm. as coaches, we're super used to it. And also I don't see it subsiding or losing popularity anytime soon at all like not not in it not at all do i see it subsiding in fact i only see it continuing to grow and Mm -hmm. what's what's uh for lack of a better term concerning and that's like maybe even like kind of a clickbaity word because i don't lose sleep over it Uh, i just can't think of a better word what's concerning is the responses when you try, when I, we'll talk about anybody else, when I try to walk someone through the concept of enough and the response is, yeah, but, mm-hmm. and then going back to, but I heard this or, but my friend does this or I used to be so mm. that, you know, that it's, cr- yeah. oh, it's just, it's crazy. And I'm not trying to call anyone crazy, but I'm saying <laughs> it's just it's kind of wild to me. I think it makes sense. Which part? Thinking like the enough part and thinking you need to be doing more. So I feel like that's like one, it's like the easiest thing to control. And then mm-hmm. we feel like if we can control that thing, then we can control how if we get to our goals. And it's a lot harder to like trust in doing less and resting the things work. You're not actively doing something, you know? Yeah, I think that you bring you bring up such a good point. And I think the part where where folks get conflicted is when we say things like doing less, we're talking like not getting a medal for doing the most. Mm-hmm. It's like, are you actually doing it well? Yeah. Because I personally can be 
it, it's that whole like jack of all trades, master of absolutely none. Mm-hmm. And what again, like what the concerning part is that there doesn't seem to be from from my perspective, there just doesn't seem to be anywhere near the amount of energy putting being put into the conversation. Like it needs to I think in order for it to be effective, there needs to be a parallel conversation about doing less and working harder at doing less. Like mm-hmm. the less that you're doing. So if you're doing five things, do less and work harder. Yeah. Like I think the the um the you don't need to work so hard. I I'm starting to like flip to the okay. People the the whole like you need to like chill a little bit is almost been taken too far now. Yeah. I feel like we just keep swinging back and forth. Yeah. Like I something that I have noticed on threads, you know, there there's the algorithm. So something I did notice on threads is somehow like my my algorithm for all of the what like six days I've been on there or whatever it is, <laughs> yeah. My algorithm is now showing me a bunch of stuff that mentions hustle culture. Oh, yeah. So now it's and it's really more about like the argument against quote unquote hustle culture. Yeah. So they'll name it's like naming more like prevalent public figures and public business coaches, like all that stuff, like naming them and then talking about like how they talk about, you know, you need to work harder. Everybody's got the same 24 hours in a day, like all the triggering phrases and mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And they're like, you know, that's that ain't it. Like you actually need to take a break. You actually need to take a nap. You actually need to go to bed, like mm-hmm. that sort of thing. You don't need to stay up until three in the morning. It's not and it's almost like I think you've talked about this before. Like it's almost like it's swung so hard in the other direction to then like now I now I see more and more why it's like the the no days off, I'll you know, I'll die in the office if I have to because I grinded it out for my family yeah. side versus the I want to do, I, I, I need to like sleep 23 hours out of the day crowd. It's, <laughs> it's like the middle is, I, I don't, I don't know if there is a middle anymore. It's like, it's just nuts. Cause now I see why one, one side gets so pissy at the other side. It totally yeah. makes sense to me now. Well, yeah. Cause there's a time and place for each of them. Yeah. I think that's where the, the, this is truly a linked thought. Like, I think that that is where the future of coaching is is finding less, the middle. Um, yeah, finding finding the right application. Yeah. And that's not – somebody may be like, well, yeah, that's what coaching <laughs> is supposed to be. That's nothing new. <laughs> and that may not be anything new. However, what you will still come across is people, especially in the training world – it's like, no, it's got to be about like this specific technique is like the end all be all technique, right? Like that's the exercise. That's the, that's the rep scheme. That's mm-hmm. the optimal movement pattern, Ugh. shortened versus lengthened. And, I hate optimal. you know, like that, well, that's the thing though. Like if we know that the real, the real work that makes a difference is the application of these things. Is our content matching that? 
though. Because mm. the content that gets the most engagement from the people that I talk to, the content that they most engage in is content that's telling you specifically, do this, don't do that, spend more time doing this, spend less time doing that. Mm-hmm. There's the, then the, there's the, well, who does that apply to though? And I yeah. think that's the, the part that is then confusing. It's either confusing people or like validating their denial mm-hmm. that you just need to sit with something for a while, like stay in the, the, like stay in the quicksand for a while yeah. or the, the not quicksand, stay in the mud for a while and let it be messy and let it be slow and you're still working at it, like stay there for a while and see if that quote unquote optimal way of doing something is truly working for you. And that's how we figure out. But man, it's, uh, it's just something I've really noticed recently. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I just, what's going on. I don't know. I don't (laughs) think I've seen, I've seen a bit of that on threads, but yeah, this is, this is more like actual, like these are real, like interactions, you know? So it's not as not as much um, observation social media wise. It's like what'll happen is a there'll be you know we'll go through a consult and I'll just ask like where does you know somebody has a particular goal like okay well where does that goal come from what's important to you right now different things like that so when you do consume content what sort of things are you kind of seeing like what sort of programs really you know kind of pique your interest like that sort of a thing because I have a lot of different styles. I can have a bodybuilding style. I can have more of a CrossFit style or functional training. I can have more of like a performance-based style. I mean, there's a there's a lot of different ways that I can go. So I try to get an understanding of, okay, so what sort of style do you feel like really resonates with you? So then they name people. Mm-hmm. So then I'll take a few minutes and just kind of say like, oh, well, you know, let's let's kind of check out a couple of things and you just kind of tell me like what jumps out to you. What do you think looks cool about that? That sort of a thing. And that's where a lot of this kind of starts to come from and it's super helpful because mm-hmm. I don't I don't think it's helpful for me to just make the assumption that I understand the the lens that they have because we can both be looking at the same post and see two completely different things. Yeah. Right. So it does seem still that I think most people have gotten really good at the bu- at the buzzwords. Mm-hmm. I think at this point if you're a coach and you're not dropping something around mindset and consistency and sustainability, then like if you're not utilizing those words, like you've definitely missed the mark. But now mm-hmm. the problem is like, you know, I'm pretty sure there's an Ozempic ad somewhere for that talks about sustainability. Probably. Somewhere. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. like they, everybody's jumped out. They've already figured that out. So they're like, okay, yes, we'll just do that. So rant over. <laughs> <laughs> is that it for your updates that was i was done with updates a while back <laughs> that's what i was that's why updates i even turned said rant. yeah that's why i even like said let's i'm gonna transition to this and maybe it's a little bit of a, a mini topic with starting with if you're gonna try to critique something like first do the thing so that you can critique the thing yeah, yeah. i feel like i see that a lot with habits Ooh, how so like speak on that People being like, oh, I just can't run in the morning. I'm like, how long have you tried it for? Oh, it doesn't work for me. And they try it like once and it's like, it sucks. Like, obviously. 
if you're not used to it, it's going to suck. <laughs> I could say the th same thing about running in the evening because I primarily run in the morning. I try it once. I'm just like, this is not for me. I feel like that's the biggest habit I see it with. It's like, oh, I just the, can't uh, be a morning runner. It doesn't a morning work for person me. thing? Yeah. Specifically with running. I mean, we've talked about this. Like for people who consistently cannot get in their training, I'm going to be like, how about you try to do it in the morning before yeah. anything can get in your way? And what's the response they usually give you? Like, how does that usually go for you? Yeah. I'm well, historically, I haven't pushed too hard on it, but I feel like I'm going to start pushing more. <laughs> like, I'm putting my foot down. Enough is enough. Yeah. Well, because, like, based, you know, your whole rant, it's like, if I write you a plan, not mm -hmm. saying it's, like, perfect, because it never right. is. Right. But if then you're missing three days out of your f five or six days because you're not running first thing in the morning and then work happens or you don't want to go after work, you're tired, kids come up, whatever it may be, then like you're not going to reach your goal. <laughs> that's just like how yeah, it is. Like <laughs> so there's, yeah, I, I primarily, like on the surface, I totally agree with you. And I think that's part of, I think that's part of the coaching the coaching client relationship too is mm -hmm. just because I write five days. Now I may have written that initially based on the information that you gave me. Yeah. And, you know, we had an initial conversation. You said you wanted to do this much. I probed a little bit deeper just to say, okay, I know what you want to do. What have you currently been doing? And then you told me that you were doing five. Okay. You told me that five was no problem. That sort of a thing. And then, you know, after about four weeks, you're seeing that the average is about three. So, you know, then there's the follow-up with, hey, you know, do we need to make some adjustments? Because I think every good coach is going to ask, hey, are there, are there particular adjustments or anything like that? Mm -hmm. And then what you come to find out is, you know, there was a little bit of an overcommitment at the beginning. And I think that's where the the communication piece comes into play with Hey, if something's not working for you, let's dig into why it's not not working for you, like that sort of a thing, mm -hmm. and then figure out, okay, well, is it that we need to adjust the plan, and or because maybe it's not a maybe it's not a or it's an and, do we need to make some adjustments, and also have we exposed an opportunity to get out of your comfort zone? Mm. You no, know, because. Because getting up early in the morning, some sometimes people really don't see the correlation with, for example, getting up early in the morning and having some semblance of a bedtime routine. Yeah. They literally just look at those as two yeah. <laughs> completely like completely <laughs> separate things. It's like, okay, well, what kind of nighttime habits do you have? Oh, well, I mean, when I, I I'm in the bed by when I was a, a rookie coach. I wasn't picking up on those things when they were like, yeah, well, I'm in bed by nine. And I'm like, well, shoot, I don't know what's going on. And so we kind of dig into some other things and dig into some other things. And then like after a while, I came to realize in bed doesn't mean you were actually planning on going to sleep. Mm, yeah. They were like in bed scrolling on their phone for another hour. Uh -huh. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> oh, gotcha. But those are the things like that. That's where it takes experience and and working with humans yeah you know to to kind of 
be able to do those things. And I will say, from my point of view, there is a large population of people who just don't like they don't necessarily realize the habits that are that they have instilled in themselves mm-hmm. that are like what I call momentum breakers. Mm. Like they don't they don't realize that. And that's what I think where I think having a coach who can kind of see those patterns comes into play. Like yeah. they didn't they didn't realize that every second Wednesday is when they don't get their workout done. Like they never realized that because it was every other Wednesday, not every Wednesday. And then come to find out every second Wednesday, their schedule is a little bit different and they're flying by Mm. the seat of their pants most of the time. So that's, I will at least like throw some folks a bone here that I do (laughs) get it that this stuff happens. (laughs) I've also been that client before too. Yeah. You know, where my coach has been like, hey, have you – have you kind of looked at, you know, this particular pattern? I'm like, I had no idea. <laughs> nope. So that's the beauty of tracking things and, you know, whatnot. Yeah. So I remember I had a coach who picked, like, found something from a food standpoint. She was like, hey, have you noticed, like, you report your digestion as this, and then there's this one thing that you, whenever you tend to add that in your food log, like, a couple of days later, it's a problem. I was like, Psh, never realized. <laughs> Yeah, go figure. All right, let's uh, let's talk science. Let's move on to the big topic. I know we we're have three already minutes at an left. hour. All right, I don't even I don't have the timer on my screen. I minimized it I to the point that I don't have it. So I have it on. All right, well that's I mean that's about right. So we usually we usually dabble yeah. with the first you know forty to fifty minutes on stuff. <laughs> yeah, so it's like I don't know. We can chapter it out. We'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, I'll put the timestamps for everyone. Yeah. That'd be all right. Yeah. All right. So um, um, you want to introduce introduce this particular topic because you broke yeah. this one down. Well, it's only one study that I brought to the table today, which for anyone listening, you should never make conclusions based on one study. So yeah, we're not making but conclusions, but it's a good I one think to it's talk cool about. To, I think it's cool to have something to to throw into the mix that's more than just anecdotal though. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we're talking about do runners, should we lift that whole topic? Yeah. <laughs> do you want to, do you want to give a little, a little context on some of the conversation we've had back and forth about that? Or really, I think it, you really kind of brought that to my attention more. So let me, how about I'll just throw you a question and you can. Okay. Yeah. Throw me the go question. From there. Yeah. So, um, from your perspective, where where does the argument come from that mm-hmm. it is not necessary for and I'm using that language specifically that it is not necessary for runners to lift weights and do strength and or do strength training. Yeah, so well I feel like when we're talking about this we have road runners and then we have trail runners. Oh, see I, I like, already didn't even differentiate between the two. Yeah. Well, I feel like in road running it's mm-hmm. more commonplace now. Like if you're running a road race to support your road running, you should lift. Why? Why is that? That why? Why is why are you? Why do you think that is that there's a somewhat differentiation there? Well, because road running, your performance is highly correlated with your running economy because it's more like, you know, in trails there's vert, there's 
nutrition, you're on your feet longer, there's more factors that go into your racing performance versus like even at the longest distance, the road marathon. Uh It's like how easily can you hold your marathon pace for the whole marathon and like run efficiently at that pace. Ah. And there have been, I don't know how many studies, but there's been studies that show that uh, strength training does increase running economy or improve running economy, which is like the primary driver of road running. So I feel like that is more widely accepted. And that is also why it's not as widely accepted in trail running right now. So there's the argument that like running economy isn't the primary driver of trail performance. So some people, I don't think they'll say like it doesn't matter as much, but it's like not as big of a factor. It's still definitely a factor. If you can run fast, you're probably going to be able to run faster on trails than someone else who cannot run as fast, (laughs) like on the roads. And then there's the argument that trails themselves just running over them builds strength just because you have hills you have very terrain all of that stuff uh so there's can be a thought process that trail runners don't need to strength train as much because of the nature of what they're doing and then there's the thought that if you want to get better at running you're better uh your time is better spent doing more running than Mm -hmm. splitting it between running and strength training Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I want to go back to the the running, the road the road, road running. running. Yeah, road running <laughs> um, versus trail running aspect of it. Because if I so if I'm digesting this correctly, it's like if you so one of the primary factors or primary traits that you want to have or skill sets, whatever, is elite running economy for road road races Mm -hmm. yeah in trail running you've got more of a mixed bag yeah so just because you have great running economy on flat road doesn't mean that that's going to translate over because you've got other things that are going to be more challenging maybe not more challenging but they present different challenges yeah sorry let me put it that way yeah i would confirm that i'll make sure not to make sure not to make it like you know road runners or peasants like myself with a PC and <laughs> trail runners or Apple users. No. Mac. That's an inside joke for anyone. I would actually say like, it's what? probably the, the reverse if we were going with stereotypes. Yeah. Oh, really? Well, the stereotype is like roadrunners. I don't know if this actually directly matches, but the roadrunners are like the stereotypically type A, uptight, very concerned with numbers and performance and like super shoes, top of the line stuff. And trail runners uh, are like, I'm just out here to have fun. <laughs> more like, like crunchy. Like I'm just, yeah, just like a, I'm here for the vibes, man. I'm here for the vibes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I just pictured that. It's like, I'm here for the vibes. <laughs> so, Meanwhile, the road runners like, get out of my way. Yeah. Road runners like, uh, I'm here for a certain time. <laughs> okay. So I feel gotcha. like the road runners are the Mac users and trail runners would be the PCs. Oh, wow. Well, we just lost two listeners. It's been great having you. <laughs> Appreciate you. All right. Um, okay. That's that's well stated. So then then also, am I correct in then my perspective based on what you said would be then when you get into the trail running, the one potential argument is that 
the trail running, and actually, I think you you put that on there, like trail running itself builds the strength. So basically, the activity that you're going to be doing on the trail with, you know, I was going to say obstacles, different for vertical um, inclines and, you know, running over, I don't know, rocks and logs and whatever else yeah. is going on, that's enough to have you prepared to continue to do that. So interesting. Yeah. They're okay. actually uh that's it's not the study we're gonna talk about today, but there is a study yeah. where they compared I don't remember what uh type of roadrunner. So it was a group of roadrunners doing strength training and a group of trail runners. I wanna say they weren't doing strength training mm-hmm. and then they compared them. No one quote me on this because it's yeah. it's been a while since I actually read <laughs> the study. Um I'll try to find it and link it for anyone curious. If you do want to argue with us, just leave a five star review and then just put your negativity <laughs> in the comments. It's fine. All right. Anyways. Um but it's basically comparing their strength before and after the intervention. So trail runners would have no strength intervention, roadrunners would be doing a strength program. Okay. And like then comparing them after the fact and the trail runners were stronger after the fact and basically the roadrunners like didn't improve i don't remember what they were measuring but then like i feel like people ran with that and was like see trail runners don't need to do strength training um because they're getting enough in yeah but i mean you know in studies it depends like what were they what was their measurement what were they actually doing what what are they using yeah there's so many yeah what are they comparing um what were the roadrunners doing for strength because uh, Jason Coop is a very prevalent ultra coach and he, he went over the article or the study in depth on his podcast uh-huh. and one of his takeaways was like, well, maybe the roadrunners are just like not doing a proper strength training program, you know, like maybe they just aren't doing the right kind of strength for them. Um, so it's not like all strength is <laughs> not valuable. Yeah. Like could be, cause I don't, I didn't look into the details. I don't know what their specific program was. So, you know, that's a, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's, um, I want to get into the study. I will say very, very quickly that, uh, the argument that, I mean, my bias is going to be pretty clear here. I don't even think I need to state (laughs) it. It's pretty clear. The argument that I spend time doing X activity. So that's all that I need in order to build the strength to do X activity, Mm -hmm. uh, is, it's a tough one for me to give much, uh, like if this were a debate, I would have difficulty giving that one any points mm-hmm. on because, so for me, it just doesn't stick for me very well because I have run into, um, a similar type of rationale and I'm being really friendly calling it rationale. Um, when somebody is talking about for example, and I'm not even joking, like I don't necessarily need to do legs because I'm on my feet all day. And that, that has come <laughs> up, that's come up a handful of times. That's um, wild. I, I agree. I agree. It's mostly men. Well, In men fact, are afraid it's always been, now so. I think about it, it's always been men. Stereotypically, women only do legs and men never do <laughs> legs. So. Man, we just lost another one. Uh, <laughs> just, yeah. I'm just saying what I see on the internet. It's always like a man making fun of a woman at the gym doing legs. Like, oh, I always see her here and all she does is legs. Nothing grinds my gears more. That's not true. There's probably a lot of things. 
but that's up there. I, I remember having a couple of uh, a couple of friends of mine that were coaches, male coaches. We were on a call. We had gotten on a call together for something, and I didn't know that behind the scenes there had been like this running joke of like how many leg posts I was going to have. They were like, yo, did you take a break from the conference, take a break from another like leg day to come to this conference call? And it was like this running joke of like, bro, we've been trying to figure out like how many different variations of single leg movements you can do possibly in one (laughs) week. So I'm the exact opposite. Like you give me, you give me five days in the gym, I'll, I'll work legs into three of them somehow. And right now it's every day, but anyways. Um, Okay. So yeah, I just wanted to put that out there just with the, I want to state my bias very clearly. So it's not like an an implicit bias. It's a very explicit, like out there bias that the argument of, well, you know, again, that argument of like, well, the only doing the activity itself is all the strength that you'll need for that particular activity. I even think that translates to things outside of sports too. Mm -hmm. Because at that point, yeah. All right, moving on. Yeah. Uh, one moving more thing on. about road versus trail. Yeah. Uh, so road running, something that goes along with the argument that road runners need strength more than trail runners is that pretty much road running, I mean, obviously running itself is repetitive, but road running your steps, pretty much they're all the same. Like it's the same thing for the entire run. There's not much variation versus yeah. trails. like. I mean, you are working your like tiny muscles a lot more and your ankles and all of that because yeah. your steps aren't as stable. They're not the same every time. So that's another contributing okay. factor. So maybe this may, maybe, yeah, maybe we can reference or at least get a little bit of info on this in the study. I'm also curious if there's conversation around like strength training actually inhibits your performance whether whether you're talking road runners or trail runners that strength training would in, would make it worse because i think um, there's a difference there's i definitely difference. think there's a difference between saying it's not necessary because it won't make you any better mm-hmm. versus you shouldn't do it because it will actually be a detriment i think those i think there's a difference there yeah I maybe don't... it's the same you know you're both arguing against it but i think for different reasons I don't think I've ever heard. Well, let me let me. I'm put trying this to out think there. if I've heard someone say it, it would like make your running worse. I think in an indirect you... way, people say it because you're not running as much. Okay. Right? Now I do. I do definitely come across people who will ask, who will either ask or allude to or flat out say like, "I don't want to build too much muscle because that's going to increase my body weight and then." my performance will decline. I've mm-hmm. definitely come across that one. Yeah. I have heard that. I just don't so see that it would, a lot anymore because of my yeah. algorithms. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, I'm talking like conversations with live people here. If yeah. I were just going on, you know, like social media observations, we'd be here for years. Yeah, so, okay. Well, let's get into, let's get into the study. You want to break that down? Yeah. On a study that you found? <laughs> I have so many notes. All right. Well, <laughs> We'll have a link to the study in the show. We will have a link to the study. Okay. So the title of the study is Effects of Running Specific Strength Training, Endurance Training, and Concurrent Training on Recreational Endurance Athletes Performance and Selected Anthropometric 
parameters. Word. Which is a lengthy title. But basically, they're trying to figure out kind of what you were just saying. Does strength training and endurance training at the same time take away from improvements you would make in either? And this one is more uh, focused on endurance. Would adding in strength training take away from your endurance improvements that you would see if you only endurance trained? Okay. All right. So... One thing I liked about this study is they have three different groups. One which did the running specific strength training, one that did only endurance training, and then one that did both. Initially, I was very confused. I'm going to be honest with you. Because <laughs> it when it was describing uh, what the three groups did, so the strength training group did three days of strength training a week. And wow. all of this was for 12 weeks, which is another thing I liked about this because 12 weeks is a good amount of time. Yeah. Uh, the endurance group did three days of endurance training. And then the way they worded the concurrent training made it sound like they were just combining strength training and endurance and doing it every other day. But that is not what it is. Because my initial thought was like, obviously, the concurrent group is going to see improvements because <laughs> they're training twice as much as everyone else. <laughs> right. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, which is uh, they called that out from other studies. Other studies that have tried to do something similar would do like an endurance group versus a concurrent group. And then obviously the concurrent group is doing more training in general. So it's like yeah, higher volume. Yeah, like not apples to apples. Yeah. So this one, the concurrent group was doing three days a week as well, but their days would alternate strength, endurance, strength, endurance. So it'd be like two strength, one endurance, one week, two run or two endurance, one strength the next week, and they yep. would keep going. So they only had 30 participants in this, which is a pretty small sample size, and it yep. was all men, so that's a negative for this study, but we will accept it. They were between 30 and 40, which is kind okay. of nice because usually studies are done on men in their early 20s. So that is – oh, and both – of the programs followed a period periodization system, ATR, accumulation, transmutation, and realization. Yeah. I had never actually heard ATR, but it's nice that they periodize the 12 weeks. So would you like to make any comments before I go into specifics? No. No, I'm with you so far. Excellent. <laughs> okay. So then the running specific strength, I was really curious what they used as running specific. Yeah. <laughs> so in weeks one through six, they did the same three exercises and then they basically like increased the weights, if I remember correctly. I didn't write all that down. But okay. they did a squat, a leg curl, and a calf raise. So. Okay. Fair enough. Pretty pretty standard. We're hitting quads. Where calf raises are calves. every strength study ever. I feel like they are one of the more important things for runners. Yeah, I even in non-running ones, it's like literally every strength study. I'm surprised. I am somewhat surprised that the that the leg extension wasn't in there. I'm guessing because of the squat. Yeah, and that's even not to derail. That's that's even something where you can i mean you can go down the rabbit hole in any of these things but it's like okay mm -hmm. when it, you're talking like squat like what sort of depth what are kind? we looking yeah. at are is it something that's more of a quad bias or was it a wide stance like 
You know what I mean? So there's so yeah. many different aspects to that. So yeah. That's all. Oh, and one However, other thing. Generally, yeah. Good movement selection. Uh, when one of the requirements for participating is no strength experience, which is very oh. important. Um, at least. Oh. Uh, in their conclusion, they described it as no strength experience. I think it was you haven't okay. followed a strength plan for the past year. So like maybe okay. in your past before gotcha. that you were. Mm -hmm. um, and in terms of endurance, they had to be running at least between three and five days a week. I don't Particular distance did they need to already be running three to five days a week? I think so, but they had to be able to run a certain pace because one, okay. well, we'll get to this, but one of the... Uh, outcomes they were measuring is running economy at 12 kilometers per hour and 14 kilometers per hour so obviously which is about 12 kilometers per hour is like seven and a half miles per hour which okay. is quite fast and then uh 14 kilometers per hour is like eight something so like obviously if you can't run those paces <laughs> woof yeah. yeah okay okay so then week seven to eight they did a squat hurdle hops, and then running at max aerobic speed, which I found interesting. Weeks 9 through 10 was a squat extended bounds and then running above max aerobic speed. And then weeks 11 to 12 was just uphill running, 6% grade, three sets of five reps of 200 meters. Okay. So I found this very interesting. And this kind of goes into what we were talking about with trail runners before because of the hills. For two weeks straight, they're calling that the strength training. So hmm. I thought that was an interesting choice. So then for the endurance only participants in week one through three, they did 50 to 60 minutes of farlic training. Weeks four through six, they did 50 or 45 to 55 minutes of continuous training. And these weren't like in order. I was just noting the ranges in the times they ran. Uh, week seven to eight, they did quote unquote long intervals, which was 10 reps of either two and a half or three minutes of running. Weeks nine through 10 was medium intervals, which was one week they did 14 by one and a half minutes. The other week they did 16 by one minute. Um, and all of these weeks had two minutes of rest between intervals. Week 11, they did repetition training, which was five sets of three minutes hard running, eight minutes, easy. And then the final week, they did their three and a half kilometer uh, running test, basically. Okay. That's still with you. Yeah. And then the concurrent Although I group. have a screen to look at. I'm not sure I the know. listeners, but. <laughs> the listeners are Sorry, probably guys. so confused. Uh, yeah. But this study, I didn't pay for it, so everyone can access it yeah. if you want to see the details. And it's in a nice little table, all of, like the procedures they followed. Yeah, and then the concurrent group just alternated, like we said before. Yeah, but they did the same sense. same programs. Yeah. Okay. So then they did half the number of strength sessions and half the number of endurance sessions than each of the single mode groups. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I know we were talking about like the, the amount of volume. I had not put two and two together that that was going to mean since they were running both programs. They would basically be running half of both programs. Mm -hmm. So that would mean... Okay. So what that would mean then is for the strength program, it was 12 weeks. So they did weeks one through six of strength and they did weeks one through that's six of endurance, right? I'm actually, that's not how I interpreted it. I interpreted it as 
in week one on their strength days, they were doing week one strength. Right. They were doing week one endurance. But then once you get down to week 12, they did, I don't remember, I don't know what it would be, like two strength versus one endurance or whatever, but their strength days would be the week 12 strength days and the endurance would be the week 12 endurance. Mm, okay. Do you follow? Nope, but sometimes I'm kind of slow and that's okay. <laughs> so the concurrent group isn't trying to do three sessions from week one, three sessions of week one for each of them. Right. And just spacing them out. They're going by the same week numbers, but right. okay. So if the study itself was 12 weeks for everybody, right? Yeah. So it's 12 weeks for everybody. Yeah. There's a total of 12 weeks of training for strength. There's 12 weeks of training for endurance. Yeah. If you're not doing all 12, because what I'm seeing is they didn't do all 12 weeks of strength and all 12 weeks of endurance, right? Yeah, they did. Oh, they did. I they missed did, that part. They just did less volume. Got you. Okay. So they, yeah. okay. So strength has three days of everything I described for all of those weeks. Endurance has three days of all Got of the it. endurance. Concurrent has one or two from each, but for every week. Okay. I miss, I totally missed that part. <laughs> Totally missed that part. So yeah. they changed the training volume per session. Yeah. They just alternated strength okay. and endurance on okay. the training days. Yeah. All right. I've yeah. caught up with the rest of the class now. It's okay. Until I got to the conclusion, oh, I, I okay. was convinced they were doing six days a week for 12 weeks. <laughs> no, I thought they were just um, – I looked at it as they were basically going to do six weeks of one and six weeks of the other. They were going to interchange them. But mm -hmm. they were just yeah, do, so that you're doing strength yeah. and endurance uh -huh. throughout the whole 12 weeks. And then, because they really want to see, do, do they interfere with each other? Yeah. Compared to doing single mode okay. for the 12 weeks. All right. So then when they are determining the results, what they were measuring, they were measuring a bunch of different things. They were measuring body mass, body mass index, body fat percentage, lean mass, counter movement jump which you couldn't use your arms, hmm. one rep max of squat, running economy at 12 and 14 kilometers per hour, maximum oxygen consumption, otherwise known as VO2 max, and anaerobic threshold, which is basically what I did this morning with Garmin. Yeah. So not surprisingly, the strength group improved in everything you would expect from a strength group, the counter movement jump, the one rep max squat, and actually both running economy measures which kind of goes back to what we were talking about with road runners. Mm -hmm. um, the endurance group improved at everything endurance related. So running economy, VO2 max, and anaerobic threshold. And then concurrent group improved body fat percentage, lean mass, counter movement jump, run one rep max squat, running economy at both uh, speeds, VO2 mm -hmm. max, and anaerobic threshold. So basically they got the both best of both worlds, plus some body composition changes which neither of the single mode groups had. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so basically, well what were what were your what's the takeaway that you had or what are your takeaways? So like I who think, do you think this argument works for and who do you think it works against? I think it's kind of hard to say with this study design because a lot of people are training more than 3 days a week. Well, and I think 
one thing that and they noted this in I think the limitations section they didn't do like a time trial which is really oh. like the people care more about time trial than their running economy because running okay. economy is more of an abstract thing like okay you, you like if in theory if you improve your running economy you're improving your time trial time <laughs> yeah i was gonna say that should ideally that should be a comp, uh, a correlation right yeah it would have been cool to see because that's usually when we're talking about does strength affect running performance it's like does it make me slower kind of thing right you know? but i thought it was one of my takeaways was that so in the study they have all the numbers for like the effect size like how much the groups improved compared to each other and so like if you're looking at it at face value you can see the single mode groups had larger effect sizes on the improvements compared to concurrent but at the end of the day the concurrent groups still improved in both strength and endurance which i think is promising because even if you improve less than if you were to focus on one or the other you're still making improvement yeah but like I mentioned before, one thing is like these people had no strength training experience. So like how does this work on more experienced uh, athletes? Because, you know, uh-huh. most newer strength trainers are going to improve <laughs> just by doing something for a bit. Yeah, it's a completely different – it's a different stimulus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I wasn't super surprised that like – Obviously, the strength group improved and then also the concurrent group because they're new to strength training too. Mm -hmm. Other than that, I mean, they made some notes about like the body composition changes and how 12 weeks might not be long enough to see changes in the single mode groups if they were to make any changes in like the body fat percentage or lean mass or anything like that. Was there any information given on the nutrition protocol during all this? Mm -mm. Interesting. Wait. They told... Oh, I thought you were just saying wait, like W-E-I-G-H-T. Oh, no. (laughs) They they mentioned in like when they were setting up the study, they, if I remember correctly, they told the participants not to change anything about that aspect, but I don't know if they like... I don't remember. So that was self-reported, basically. Yeah, I don't remember if they had any constraints around nutrition and who they entered. Yeah. And then another limitation, like I said, is like this is pretty low training volume. So would these results hold if you were like running five days a week and then your strength training was on the same day as some of your runs? Yeah. Because with three days a week, like you have ample time to recover from each. So especially because they're trying to see if there is an interference effect. So like if you're able to recover – from your endurance and strength because they're separated by two days. Yeah. It makes sense to me that there wouldn't be interference, but like, and they noted it in their limitations. I think they said to try to separate strength and endurance by at least, I think they said nine hours. Wow. Okay. I know. Cause usually it's like six hours. Um, I would have to double check the nine hours thing, but they definitely noted like you would likely want to separate them if you don't want any interference. Um, but then at the same time, I don't think runners are really trying to move, like, 
most runners don't have strength goals that they're trying to improve in. They're trying to, at least not in a material way, you know, they're like trying to do the strength to support their running. They're not like, I'm trying to increase my run one rep max in my squat, you know? Yeah. I think that's that, that point that you make is one that I heard. What is her name? What is her name? Uh, Docless Fitness. That's mm. the name she goes under. Okay. Yeah. So I, I think I've mentioned this before. I do like how she's presented this this way of thinking about hybrid versus concurrent training, like thinking of those things differently. Yeah. Or, or a delineation between the two, which I think is related to what you were just talking about. Where, and I'm I'm totally going to steal this from her and and utilize it just to try and clarify for clients as we're working towards things like hybrid being, I want to perform at the best that I possibly can in both of these things versus concurrent. I happen to be doing both of them at once. One is a priority and I'm still doing this other thing. So it's like trying to find my max deadlift and also PR my 5K time would mm-hmm. be hybrid. Concurrent would be there's one particular thing. Maybe I'm focused like on improving the performance in one and then just maintaining something else, or I'm perhaps looking at maintaining both just yeah. from a you know general lifestyle perspective. So I like that. So something that, uh, yeah, you know, from my aspect, the body composition stuff is what I'm what I'm kind of interested in because I noticed with the concurrent group, it said that they improved body fat, which I'm assuming that means that they lost body fat. Yeah. By a decrease in body fat, but improved lean mass. So yeah. let me take a was look. That, was that they – did they have the weight listed? Like basically did they increase their lean body mass? I think that's what it means. Okay. That's, that was my assumption too, which for sure – would yeah. tend to bias more towards somebody who's newer to strength training. So yeah. when that question is coming out around, you know, can I build muscle when I'm doing, when I'm still doing a decent amount of cardio um, mm-hmm. and body recomposition, like those sorts of things, like people asking, like, can you build muscle in a deficit? I know we didn't, we're not necessarily don't have a lot of information about the nutrition piece. However, that's a question that I will get. And I just got recently actually too. With, you know, I've heard you can't build it in a deficit. I've heard you can, like, it depends, like what's the actual answer. And of course it depends. Mm-hmm. And I think in a study like this, it's always just very interesting to me. You can, you can really pull out certain things. So if you're trying to make your point and make it based on like, Hey, there was a study that was done. One would, could certainly pull this study out and be like, Hey, you can actually, you know, over an eight week period or 12 week, 12. over a 12 week period, with the proper concurrent training, we can actually have you decrease body fat and increase your lean muscle mass at the same time. So it is possible. Mm-hmm. So it's just, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. I think I, I generally like the, uh, I mean, I don't know. I generally like the study though. Yeah. I thought one other thing I liked was for people who are, well, this might not directly apply for all the reasons we stated, mostly that these people were new at strength training. But the groups increased their one rep max in the squat. And the final two weeks of the program, they did zero squats, which I feel like a lot of people 
when they're working towards a certain goal, they're like, I can't take a week off of it. I'm going to lose everything. Mm. But in this case, like, they did uphill running instead for two weeks and they still, again, yeah, what, they're newer to strength training. So, but, What's interesting about that is when you first had made the comment about like, hey, I thought it was kind of weird that like they were doing strength training and then that last week they didn't actually strength train. They did like uphill running. Mm-hmm. or whatnot like so they didn't do resistance training i was thinking to myself i wonder if that was supposed to be considered a deload from the resistance Ooh. training because you're basically hitting right around that 12 week mark actually yeah so that now that i'm looking at it it was oh, no it is yeah yeah because we've got basically weeks, weeks one through 10 they were always doing some sort of resistance training and what's interesting too it's easier for for us to reference because we have a screen in front of us that that like has Kelly's very nicely organized notes on here. <laughs> um, but what's interesting too is, so you've got weeks one through six where they did squat, leg curl, calf raise. Mm-hmm. So you've got three, I don't know if that's a body weight movement or if that was loaded, but let's assume that it's resistance-based. Which one? The calf raise. So in the training parameters for intensity, the first week, for example, they have 64% of one rep max and they don't, say, they don't say that it's only applicable to the squat so i'm guessing it's for everything i'm just i'm dead right now <laughs> picturing, <laughs> picturing dudes in there getting their one rep one rep max calf raise oh god yeah so I'm i don't sorry. know <laughs> but it says that's the intensity four sets 14 <laughs> reps, two minutes rest between. <laughs> so, oh, oh. oh, sign me up, man. What's, <laughs> what are we doing our one rep max calf raise? I'm in, bro. <laughs> All right. So anyways, so assuming that they were doing weighted calf raises, yeah, one of the things that I didn't pick assumption. up on earlier was weeks one through six, they did three resistance training movements. Yeah. After that, they only did one resistance training movement. Yep. In weeks seven through eight, so they squatted. So there was no more leg curl or calf raise after week six. They squatted seven through eight, hurdle hops and running. Weeks nine through 10, squatted, extended bounds and running. And then weeks 11 and 12, no resistance training. Yep. So yeah, I don't, if I, if I were someone who was making the argument of, the inclusion of strength training being over being like biased towards the positive, like you should do it. This study would not be like, I'm going to have a fairly like lukewarm argument because they, they basically primarily like strength trained for six weeks and Mm -hmm. then squatted for weeks seven, eight, nine and 10. Yeah, but I would include plyometrics in strength training, which are the hops and the bounds. I wouldn't. You would consider them as separate? Yes. So it's very common. I put them in as performance training, not strength. Uh Uh-uh. Interesting. That's me. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I wouldn't. So if somebody comes to me and says, I want to do strength training to translate to my running, then... I wouldn't do hurdle hops, extended bounds, and uphill runs. I'm open to debate. 
Yeah, I don't think my first thought would be, but it is common to include plyometrics as part of strength for running just to improve like the elasticity of the the tendons and explosiveness. Uh, So the uphill running, I think, doesn't fit as much. But I might be splitting hairs on this. I think you're leaning more into the semantics of the word strength. You are. You're probably right. (laughs) One, you're probably right, and that comes from group fitness that advertises themselves as strength training. Yeah, that's fair. So I'm letting that bias factor into this. So I want to get stronger. I want to get. I want to get stronger in my running not the same i would argue the study is more of the latter they're calling it running specific strength training yes i would totally agree yeah yeah so then i think like here's my thing why not keep in the leg curl or why not keep (laughs) it no that's so that you know yeah as i as i kind of look at it more and more like they pick those particular movements like why why do we remove that oh you know what I am sorry. What? Re- rewind. <laughs> they specifically utilized that periodization system. Wrong. Mm. I'm, I am. I'm wrong on this. Or okay. yeah, my my perspective. <laughs> I forgot that they use the periodization system. Those are the progressions for what they were that for that periodization system. So then it makes sense to add in yes, the running? Those are, yes. Those are the progressions. Oh. So they went from leg curl to hurdle hops to extended bounds to, well, the, the last two weeks I think were more like perform. They made everything performance-based. Yeah. It would kind of be like if I went from a, oh gosh, I'm trying to think of like a something that would be like super – relatable, but that's a lot of pressure to put on myself right now. (laughs) So basically they're going, it it would be like if we were changing the rep scheme every few weeks, they're changing. They're basically like first the leg curl, let's strengthen that particular area. So Mm. let's build, let me, well, whatever. If you feel like this is taking too long, we can always, you can always edit it. The people don't have to know. Yeah, so yeah, they're basically taking like, okay, first from a hamstring standpoint, like let's strengthen your hamstrings and your posterior Mm. chain with the leg curl. Then let's challenge it in a different way with the hurdle hops. Mm -hmm. Then let's up the ante from a performance standpoint with extended bounds. So it would kind of be like if I went from a deadlift to a Russian kettlebell swing mm. to, you know, you know what I mean? Like yeah. to something after that, after, I don't know what, but do you I was still about disagree? to say like aggressive thrusting. <laughs> that sounds weird. <laughs> Pause. Um, do you what was still, that? oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Do you still not agree with moving to plyometrics instead of a different strength exercise? With that periodization, or like the so okay, so this gets in this gets into 
this goes back to what I was talking about with critiquing programs. Mm. Yeah. This goes back to what I was talking about with critiquing programs. So if I'm specifically, if you specifically came to me for strength Mm -hmm. and you also run, Mm -hmm. then I believe that is different than you came to me to build strength for running. Yes. And I understand like semantics and whatnot, but I think... Because I think I think about like baseball, for example, mm-hmm. there are particular movement patterns in baseball, so that rotation. So it's different. I'm going to say different. At the base of it, it's kind of the same. So it's like I can do like like a kettlebell slasher, which is a rotational movement. I can mm-hmm. do that rotational movement, and I'm building building your rotational strength. I'm building some like some things through. Um, what like anti-lateral flexion, I can play around with that stuff. And if I'm trying to specifically increase the power of your swing, mm-hmm. like rotationally, like your bat speed, then I'm going to do something a little bit different where I may use like a dynamic, like a dynam- med ball and do like rotational power slams mm-hmm. versus rotational kettlebell swings. And I think that's, so taking like the the opposite of the the opposite of what my bias is with the argument, I think that 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 kind of plays into some of the argument for folks that are like, in order to get better at running, you just need to run, is kind of like, well, if you're taking the time to taking time away from running in order to deadlift, is deadlifting really contributing to your running yeah. performance? So if they had done leg curls all 12 weeks versus, you know, hurdle hops or something like that, mm-hmm. who knows? It could be a little bit different. I'd l- I, I, it would be interesting to see if somebody did like run – so take this same methodology, like they did that concurrent, and then somebody else does – takes the endurance training and then uses like a um, – like a traditional like squat bench deadlift program. Mm, yeah. Like that sort of I'd be really that'd be really interesting. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know either. I don't think I would have put uphill running with the strength group though. <laughs> well, I did. Okay, so I did try to look up like the accumulation transmutation and then realize realization. Yeah. Not necessarily seeing as much. So that is specifically for endurance training. Because within the strength training world, we have accumulation, intensification, and realization. Mm. And yeah. So it says transmutation intensifies your training to be more akin to strength. And then realization helps to peak performance to maximal strength or power output. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. That is I'm wondering if they point. primarily did that with the squat yeah. and then the other stuff they switched to more performance-based. I don't know. I don't know either. Uh, it makes sense why the strength group also had improvements in running economy because they had running. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I could see how I, yeah. if someone like just read the abstract and didn't look at the exercises they did and they're like, strength training improves running economy. It's like... Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, well, the if strength, you add in plyometrics yeah. and running fast up a hill. <laughs> yeah. 
Exactly. It's like, yeah. Yeah. That's the, so that, that makes it, I don't know. That's a little wrinkle that makes things very interesting here. Yeah. I mean, I would include plyometrics with the running specific strength program if I were designing Mm -hmm. a study, but I wouldn't have like the endurance group not do hill running and the strength group do hill running. Yeah. Let me clarify too, just in case there's anybody who's like, so basically you're saying like that I'm saying, well, I wouldn't do any of these things <laughs> for strength. What it, it, I wouldn't do any of these things for a runner. Yeah. And that's not, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if you're going to call something a strength program, then your general, and this is where we, we, we serve we serve a decent amount of like the same type of person, but then we, we definitely, you and I have a split with like the type of athlete we work with. Right. So where, where I would design a program for a general lifestyle person, if we're talking about strength and I'm biasing more towards like, like traditional strength, not specifically strength as it relates to running based movements mm-hmm. which ironically i actually picked up a couple of youth athletes who oh. are coming to me for strength and they run and we're going to make sure that it translates over to that but for example like we're going to have we've got like reverse lunges for example mm, yeah i don't plan a on classic yeah guys they're going <laughs> to love it right so I don't plan on then removing the reverse lunge after a few weeks and changing it to like single leg hops. Like we'll have single leg hops in the program also. Yeah. As part of the overall program, but I see with this one it looked a more looked a bit more like it was like progression from like build the strength, like so build like unilateral unilateral like posterior focus strength and then progress that to be more of a performance based movement. Mhm. Whereas I, I would just go about it a little bit of a different way, but that's also just everybody's going to, some people will do a little bit different, you know? Yeah. So, well, there we go. Yeah. But it was an interesting study. Um, yeah, it was. I think one thing that it reinforces for me is that I should add in more plyometrics to my yeah. own strength training because I do slack on that. But in my so, defense, yeah. I've had a foot injury for weeks so that's fair i mean that's yeah that's can't really hop I would, on a foot that hurts i would say that um that 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 tends to be whether you're somebody who's like a, an ultra runner or a casual runner i don't think there's uh, they can i think be it's both. pretty what's that they, they those can be the same person let me say casual distance is that okay. better okay I understand the spirit of what you're saying. <laughs> Whether you're a long distance runner or not a long distance runner. Mm, I mean, technically long distance is like anything over 1,500, 1,800. I don't know. If you're going like by the track world definition, uh-huh. everything, most things that adult runners do is long distance. I always considered it anything over 400 meters was considered long distance. I can't remember exactly where the cutoff is. I think it's 800 though. If I've got to run around that track more than once, like if I run around <laughs> once and you're telling me I need to go again, that becomes long. That is long yeah. distance. I don't know. I'm just sticking with it. Anyway, yeah. continue what you were saying. <laughs> I forgot what I was going to say. 
Yeah. Oh, I was I was just saying. I think that regardless of the distance that people run, I think plyometrics can be left out if left to your own devices. If you don't specifically have like a trainer who's like got you doing them or you know that sort of a thing. Well, I also it's kind feel of like, like okay. I feel like people instill fear in people about plyometrics. How so? Because they can be a very high intensity activity and could lead to oh. injury if you don't do it right. So I feel like some people like get scared to add them in because it's like. Which that's you know. that's what then leads to injury is not including them. That's the. Yeah. Or can lead to injury is not including them. Like that's the thing. It's like, well, I don't want to get injured, so I don't do them. But then I, <laughs> when I do them, I end up getting injured because I haven't been doing them. Yeah. Yeah, just like don't go from nothing to like a drop jump. Yeah. Because those are really intense. <laughs> you know, so um, – and we've got to wrap soon here. Um, <laughs> what it reminds me of, something that I, I put into the, the class programming for this month was mm-hmm. eccentric step downs. Oh. So those are one of my favorites is loaded – or it, actually, you can even do them at body weight, and they're still a challenge, especially if you try to go with like about a two to three second count mm-hmm. on each of the step downs. So what we're talking about is like you start with standing on top of the box, and then instead of just like pounding your foot down to the ground and stepping right back up again, you slowly try to control that leg lowering. And those, I really like those, especially from the standpoint of starting to train your body to be ready for like that force absorption. Mm, is yep. I find to be something that's like super missed, even though the class is really, I mean, the class specifically is geared towards like physique and muscle maintenance and muscle building. We utilize it more from like building glutes and hamstrings just because of the way that the the anatomy works when you're doing the movement loaded, especially. However, I do like that one quite a bit. If, um, if you're somebody who's trying to like mentally get to the space where you're going to start doing like box jumps or something like that. Mm-hmm. I like those. Cause I like bo- box jump downs too. Like pogo, I call them like pogo box jumps. So you're jumping back and mm. up versus yeah. like jumping down to the front. Yeah. So I like those too. Yeah. Um, uh, one more thing about the study yeah. that I forgot to mention. Mm. They noted that there were more improvements in running economy at the faster speed versus the slower speed which i think is really what matters to runners which is cool yeah i mean based on the based on the way that they did the the running the run quote unquote strength training i can see that yeah i mean even the run i can see that the running part too yeah i mean the interval work yeah progressing the intervals um yeah it is very interesting, last note on the study, because obviously everyone is obsessed right now with zone two running. And as you can see in this study, when they were getting to the end, all three of their runs were interval runs, which is not what most anyone would do in real life. Oh, really? Yeah. If like you're only running three days a week, they're not all going to be workouts. Intervals. Yeah. Yeah. They actually kind of did the opposite, didn't they? What do you mean? Or no, 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 no. They had some intervals there and then week the 11 first repetition six training. six weeks, they didn't really have intervals. Uh-uh. That was like their base building. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. The medium intervals. Okay. I see. Yeah. yeah. So. All right. 
Well, for me, that's a wrap on the study. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's all we're gonna say about that. That's that's the most I've specifically looked at anything running related in a long time. So that's my that's good for 2023. <laughs> See you next year. Well, we only have like three more weeks, so yeah, we got to do. Um, I mean, we need to do something about what we're gonna do for 2024. Like talk about our what we're looking forward to, maybe. In 2024. Mm. Yeah, we can do that, that next episode. Yeah. Or if our somebody... final 2023 episode. Is it our final? Oh, it is? Is that our final one? Mm-hmm. Oh, snap. Okay. Yeah, because that'll come out December 22nd, and then the next one will be January 5th. Hey. New year, new me. There we go. <laughs> new me. Different person. Yeah. All right. Uh, uh, let's see. Anything coming up on your pod? I got a guest coming up this week, two days ago, for the listeners. Oh, v- releasing. Yeah, releasing tomorrow okay. for you and me. But the listeners, it'll be two days ago. Gotcha. Cool. Um, yeah, and then sometime in January, assuming I continue with the weekly trend, will be my 100th episode. Oh, snap. So yeah. as of as of right now, your intention is to continue through the through the winter or through December? Yeah. No break. As of right this moment. As of right now. <laughs> as of right now. Yeah, I know. Hey, I'm trying to, I'm not trying to commit you. That's why I said as of right now. Yeah, because I've got. Subject to change. A couple guests. So obviously that takes care of some weeks. Okay. Um, based on today, I want to do a, an episode about my Garmin test yeah. on my pod. And then I do want to do one on creating an annual training plan. So that's two more weeks. Oh. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, inspiration will strike somewhere in there for yeah. another topic. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're good so, to yeah. go then. Yeah. I know. For once. Happy Usually country. it's like scrambling. It'll be Monday the week of and be like, what am I going to talk about this week? <laughs> you plan on doing any anything different for the live one or for the hundred one? Like a live one. (laughs) I've thought about a live one, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. That's fair. Because then I I feel like I would need either to compile a lot of questions Mm -hmm. or like have something I'm actually talking about because I can't ramble to myself for a long time, you know? Obviously, if it's live, people, I mean, assuming people come. Chime in or whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just like... You know how Joy and Claire do it? They have each other. They don't have to rely on us chatters. Chatters, yeah. <laughs> Versus if it was just like one of them up there talking, you know? I think it would depend on if you're dependent on the audience. Yeah. You know, if it's kind of like, hey, I'm doing my thing, and if you want to happen to be here, cool. Otherwise, yeah. I'm going a, I'm to a keep on rolling. So, I don't That's know. That's true. I don't know. We'll see. I'll brainstorm. All right. What about cool. you? Uh, let me see. What have I, so recently I did put out the first in the perspective shift series. So Mm -hmm. that came out, I want to say last week. Yeah. Yeah. That one came out last week. Um, just put one out today is Tuesday. So I just put one out this morning. Yeah. It was a super, well, I was going to say super quick. It was like 20 minutes or whatnot. Just some something that was like popping in my head around personal development. So if you want to hear me ramble about personal development for about 15, 20 minutes, just put that one out. 
So at this point, when this comes out, that will have been a few days ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so still setting up some additional ones on perspective shift and then, yeah, still trying to get some guests scheduled for longer ones. It's just making, making the time frame mm-hmm. on that one, especially right now. So, yeah. um, but I, I mean, there's, there's a, a good, a good lineup of folks who expressed interest in doing the perspective shift stories, especially because those I have three base questions for mm-hmm. all of those. So mm. it's three questions and then, you know, we just we do what we can within about that twenty minute time frame. And yeah. That's the episode. So yeah, I may put it I actually I'll put an episode out that kind of talks about the origin of the perspective shift series, mm-hmm. like why I think it's important. Cause I I do my gut tells me that's gonna be like a big part of twenty twenty four going forward. Oh, is more and more of those. Yeah. 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 So I can see that. Yeah. Feedback has been overwhelmingly positive for, um, for the first one so far. So, so far so good, but that's about it. So let's see, I guess we will, yeah. Next time that we talk, it'll be nearing Christmas. The week before Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. When does Hanukkah start? Um, I'm not, I'm not sure. I feel like it might be that week that we're recording because Hanukkah usually is before Christmas, right? I believe so. Sorry to anyone who celebrates Hanukkah that I don't know these details. <laughs> just lost the last two people that were actually listening. So, <laughs> if you made yeah, it this far, December seventh. Oh, yeah, it's the seventh, seventh through the fifteenth, because so, I know Kwanzaa is right after. It's like twenty six or twenty seven. Okay, so. so Hanukkah will have passed. Kwanzaa will be going on. Oh, cool. Yeah. All right. Christmas will well, be to come. With that, anything else before you take us out? Nope. Nope. Um, All right. If Let's you aren't already, out. follow us on Instagram at Lifting Running Living Pod. If you would like to ask us questions, give us feedback, email us at liftingrunninglivingpod at gmail.com. Thank Ooh. you. All right. <laughs> we'll catch you next time. Okay. Bye.